Well, good morning again. We are launching a uh, four-part series coming up here, and what we're going to be talking about is this initiative called BLESS, and obviously it's an acronym that stands for a few things, and today we're going to jump off in talking about the B, which is begin with prayer, and L, which is listen with care, and what we are talking about is a word that makes people who go to church and people who don't go to church nervous. It's the same word. Makes all of us nervous. The word evangelism makes us crazy nervous as people of faith. And it makes people who have yet to discover faith nervous as well because they'd rather you just not. Right? And we'd rather not. But part of it is because we fail to really understand what the word means. And part of it is because we do it very poorly when we misunderstand what the word means. So the word in English, evangelism, comes from the Greek word, ewangelion, which means sharing of the good news or the good news. And so you've done evangelism before when you've gotten a conversation with somebody about a product or about a service that you would rave about and you would share with them, oh, you need to go buy this product because it'll help with this situation. Or have you heard that down there they've got this deal going, up to buy one, get one free kind of situation? You didn't even know it, but for that business, you were doing evangelism. You were sharing good news. The problem is, is that I think for people of faith is that they share it in such a way it doesn't seem like it's good news. And they share it in such a way that it, it kind of turns people off. And so the point is, in this next, in this next few weeks as we, we discuss this as a series, is we're going to be looking at how it is that Jesus went about this and how it is that we are invited to join him in carrying forward the good news of what he has done for us. Because today, if you're a person of faith, you've experienced the good news. And much like any product or any service that you've received that has been wonderful, you should want to share that good news. And I think for a lot of us, we're timid about that because in some ways we still need to experience the good news in deeper ways, but I think also we don't know how to go about it. We, I think some, most of us just don't want to turn people off. We're pretty nervous about s sort of sharing it because it, it also involves sort of a belief that is pretty, pretty personal to us. But there's a way to do this. There's a way to engage our friends around us and our family that won't turn them off and be very natural to you. And so we're going to go through this series. We're going to look at how to do that as we use this acronym to jump off into that, okay? So take a deep breath, fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be okay. You're going to live, all right? We're going to live through this. But here's what I want you to do from the beginning. What we're going to do is we're going to jump off, and you're going to get an insert like this every single week. And since we're covering two, you've gotten two. It looks like this. And if you pull this part out of your worship uh, bulletin, this would be great to start with, okay? So you have along the right side the acronym and the breakdown of that. But if you open it, you have on the right-hand side what looks like two kind of tear-off bookmarks. So this is where we're going to start. We're going to jump off here, and then this is the only time you're ever going to get permission to sit and write while I'm talking, okay? So this will be fun. You'll be able to write and think and that kind of thing uh, while I talk. Good, good deal? All right, but no pictures, no doodling, okay? No doodling. All right, so if you look on the right-hand side, you'll see these two bookmarks, and on the far right... Um, you can write some names, and on the left part of it, you can write some names, and then you tear it off, and here's what we're going to do with these, okay? So you write three to five names of people that right now, you just commit to praying for. That's it. That's all we're doing today, all right? 
You're just going to write three to five names of people that you commit to praying for every single day who you would eventually hope or pray would come to find the good news in, in their lives as you have found it. All right? And here's what we're going to do. So you'll tear off the right side, and I believe that that's the one you'll just kind of leave in your seat at the end of service. It says church copy. Just leave that in your seat as you walk out. I'll remind you at the end. And then the one on the left side, you're going to write in those three to five names. You're just going to keep that. And it'll, it'll remind you to be praying for those, those folks, okay? Very easy. So here's what's going to happen. I'm giving you kind of the end of where we're going, the whole goal before we get there. Isn't that a good thing? So on the right side, when you drop that bookmark on your seat as you leave and then we'll collect them, here's what we're going to do with them. And today is not the last day we'll do this. We'll keep doing it for people who aren't here today but, but show up next week and so on. We're going to take those and we're actually going to send them to our conference office. And here's what they're going to do with them. This is really cool. So they're going to take all those bookmarks with all those names that every single one of you noted in here, and then they're going to send them to our annual meeting in June. So as a covenant uh, denomination, our entire denomination will gather for an annual meeting, and then they're going to pray over those names of all the churches that send them in. So this is really, really neat, because collectively we're going to be praying that God would open the hearts of the people that you know note so that he might be able to begin to engage with them. So this is a really cool deal. So when you fill that out, we're going to drop it on the chairs, and I'll explain that again at the end, okay? Now let's jump into our talk today so you know kind of what's happening. You can begin writing some names down. Now let's jump into it. When it comes to sharing our faith, we bring that up, it really starts with joining God. And I think this is, this is the problem that most people have when they're, when they're followers of Jesus and they know that, oh, I'm supposed to share my faith, I'm supposed to evangelize, I'm supposed to do outreach, and it kind of makes us timid and, and, and intimidated, is because we think that we are supposed to do it. All right, so we're going to start from a place where the foundation of this is that God is already doing it. That's the amazing part about people who are having their hearts opened to the good news of who Jesus is, is that God is already up to it in the lives of other people. And quite often when I sit with people, whether they're grandparents or their parents, and they share with me, they say, my child or my grandchild is not walking in the faith. And one time they, they seem to know Jesus and then they quit following, they quit going, and they're heartbroken. They're stricken over this, and they, they say, I, I've been praying that God would do something in their lives. And the most encouraging thing I can say to them, right, because I can't change it. I can't snap my fingers and make those people come to faith, and I, I can't do anything in their hearts. I can't, I can't somehow soften their heart to understand who Jesus is, and I, I can't force them into that relationship. The most encouraging thing I can say to somebody, and I do this every single time when somebody's just heartbroken over this, is I say this. I say, God wants your child or grandchild to know him intimately more than you could ever want. So the heartache that you're feeling right now for that child or that grandchild to know Jesus intimately, Jesus wants it even more. And as much as it pains you, that separation in their lives, it pains God even more. And as much as you want it to change, and, and as much as you, you wish it would, and you keep praying that it would, God longs for it even deeper than you do. And so when it comes to people who, who we would love to see begin to engage in faith, and our hearts ache for them, it starts with actually joining what God is already up to. 
Now, doesn't that sort of make you relax a little when it comes to this idea of sharing our faith? Because when we think about sharing our faith, we feel like it's kind of all our initiative. If we just had the right things to say, we don't know what to say. If, if we just tried harder, if we just want more, more bold and extroverted like that one person we see running around sharing their faith all the time, we wish we kind of had that giftedness or that ability or that personality. But sharing our faith is not, it's not dependent upon personality or, or giftedness. It's dependent upon completely God being active in the lives of people around us. And the good news to you and me is that God is active in the lives of people around us. God is completely engaging people every single day. God is pursuing your friend, your grandchild, your child. He is completely pursuing them all the time. 24-7. Like I can't even stay awake that long. And God is engaging the people around you. Every single name you wrote down today, God is pursuing every single moment. So evangelism isn't us coming along and making something happen. Sharing our faith is actually coming along and actually being just the sliver, this one little piece of God's entire pursuit of a person. And he asks us to be a part of it, a faithful part of it in that moment, and we follow him, and we follow his leading to take us to that moment. And it seems like he puts us right there in that moment. We don't have to look for it. We don't have to make it happen. We don't have to force it. We believe as people of faith that God is already engaging the lives of people who do not yet know him. He is pursuing them with ambition and with passion, and you and I just kind of jump in where he's already at work, and we join him. So the problem isn't that we need to get better at evangelism. The problem is we need to get better at actually joining God, at actually seeing where God is at work and discerning that, and then jumping in where he asks us to jump in. And that's why this, complete, this whole initiative, why all of this begins with prayer. It doesn't begin with a personality transplant or with amazing giftedness, it doesn't begin with courage or boldness. And maybe some of you prayed for that. What we need to pray for is discernment in joining God. What we need to pray for is faith to understand that God is already on the move and He's at work in people's lives and you and I are just invited to join Him in the right moment. And it's discerning that right moment. So when the world was coming apart after Adam and Eve, and sin entered the world, and all of this pain and brokenness and death became reality for us that we were not created to live with or for, all of a sudden enters our lives. And there's a mess on God's hands. He's got a complete mess as he looks at the world. The world is a disaster. It's falling apart before his eyes. It is, it is going further and further from his desire for creation when he created it. He's seeing the pain and the heartache that sin has brought into the world. And people begin to worship nature. They begin to worship other gods. They begin to create things that they worship. They begin to go far from ever knowing their creator. And God has a task on his hands, doesn't he? He's got quite a chore. He has to be, begin to clean up that mess. Nobody else can clean it up. So this is where we begin to see God's pursuit of people. This is where we begin to see how God desires to, to work with his creation to bring about relationship with him as he pursues them. Now God, as he looked out on the earth, as Yahweh looked out on the earth, he had two options, didn't he? He could completely wipe out the earth, which he tried with Noah. Eh, didn't work. 
because sin just continued to abound and things continued to go downhill. He could completely condemn the world and walk away from it. He could destroy the world in its entirety. But that's not what he chose to do. God chose to start with a person. And he decided to engage that person. He decided to call that person. He decided to do something with that person that would lead toward a redeemed humanity. And that person was Abram. And we know in Genesis 12, that as we start off looking at this, in verse 1, the Lord comes and he says to Abram. Now, Abram doesn't know God. He's off living in a different country with a different group of people. And God just approaches and he says this. The first thing that, that God says to Abram in this idea of, of God bringing about redemption in humanity, he says, go. He just comes to Abram and he says, go. Now, anytime we go, it's going to require faith and trust, isn't it? He says, go from your country. So you've got to have to leave everything that you know, your people and your father's household. And so not only does he have to leave his country, meaning the, the identity to which he belongs, but then he also has to leave his community his group of people, and he has to leave his family. So he leaves his country, he leaves his town, and he leaves his family. This is a huge calling. But God says, I want you to go out. I want you to come out of this group of people, and here's why. To the land, bring that back please, to the land I will show you. Who's doing the leading? God. God. Who's doing the calling? Who's doing the pursuing? God. Abram is completely passive at this point. God comes and he says, I want you to come out from this place and these people because I have a place I want to show you. I want to show you an amazing place. Now take a look at your notes. Trust is the foundation of following where God is going. Trust is the foundation. So when we talk about what it is to share our faith and what it is to join God in his pursuit of people, it's going to take trust. When I, when I sit with that grandparent or that parent and their heart is aching for a child or grandchild or even sibling or even a parent to know God the way they know God, and I say to them, God loves your child or grandchild more than you could ever love them. And God is pursuing your child or grandchild more than you could ever want, wish, or imagine. Do you know what I'm saying in that moment? I'm saying you have to trust God. You have to trust God. Because trust is the foundation to following where God's going. And God says to Abram, look, come out from these people because I'm going somewhere and I want you to follow and I'm going to show you. And the same is true with, with those that we hope would come to know the good news that we know. He says, go. I'm going to show you. I'm directing. I just need you to trust. just need you to trust. Let's jump back into it. Genesis chapter 12. I will make you into a great nation. So not only does God call, but then he makes, he makes a promise. He says, here's what I promise you. If you go, this is what's going to happen. I'll make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. You. So God doesn't start when he's looking at this mess upon the earth. He doesn't start with condemnation. He doesn't start with canceling everybody's lives out. He doesn't, he doesn't start with, let's destroy this, this bad idea I had. He starts with blessing, calling and blessing. So come with me and I will bless you and I will make your name great, he says to Abram. And then because of that, you will be a blessing. 
it will be a blessing. Continuing, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all, all peoples, everyone on earth will be blessed through you. And the fulfillment of this promise has come because of Abram's faith. And we'll see that here in a moment in the next, in the next verse as it comes up after some points. But, <laughs> I wasn't done yet. Um, but the blessing comes through Abram and we, and we look out and we see that every single major world faith sort of comes back to Abram. Islam claims Abram as a prophet in their family. The prophets. Judaism goes back to Abram as the father of their faith. Christianity understands Abram to be the place at which God started. His name is great. All these thousands of years later and we're still talking about him and his response to God's call. He has made his name great. He has fulfilled his promise. And so when it comes to blessing, and see, God starts with blessing, and he starts with blessing you. And he blesses you so that you can hold on to it and share it with nobody. No. He blesses you so it can be shared with other people. See, blessing, if we can jump to, bring that up now, what comes to me in blessing should actually back up, back up, what comes to me should actually flow through me. So when God blesses me, that should actually flow through me to other people. Now you can go. Blessing is intended to overflow into sharing. God gives to you and I the good news. And He gave the good news probably through somebody who shared with us. Probably through some experience. But whatever, however it is, you and I have, have experienced the good news. We have come to a place of blessing in our lives. And like Abram, when God calls us in faith to do that, He also calls us to share it. His intention for Abram was that the, the earth would be blessed because of him. And those around us ought to be blessed because of us. We've heard good news. And that should overflow, it should, it should well up, it is intended to well up into sharing. But it doesn't always. What can blessing do if it doesn't overflow into sharing? It can become pride. It can become a sense of entitlement if held on to. But it's intended to be shared. God blessed Abram, not so Abram would be wealthy and wonderful and famous. He blessed Abram so that the whole earth would be blessed because of him. And he has given to you the gospel, the good news, not so that we could sit and hold it to ourselves. And become prideful in our conduct versus what we see out in the world played out. But he gave us the good news so that it could be shared. And see, the problem is with church people. You know the problem with church people, right? They hear the good news, they forget the intention, and they think it's for them. And when we think it's for us, we start to think we're better than them. And so I wonder if, if, if some Christians who think that they are better than them or that we shouldn't interact with them, or we shouldn't talk to them, or be friends with them, I wonder if they really even know the good news. I think they know a version that justifies themselves, but nobody else. And in reality, God gives us a version of the good news that not only justifies us, but it's meant to justify everybody else. 
And we start to think it's ours and we hoard it. And I think that's the problem with the church is that the church has hoarded the good news to the point at which it thinks it's for them and for nobody else. And so we don't interact with them. We don't talk to them. We're not friends with them. As if somehow the good news is exclusively for us. And I think the reason this happens is because it's not being given away. I mean, the church has forgotten how to share the good news, so it keeps the good news. Is this making sense? Yeah. Jumping back in. Wrapping it up. So Abram went. That's what he did. That was his response. Paul says this is what actually justifies Abram. His faith is what justifies him. Not his works, not something he did, but that he went. He actually trusted in God. The question for you and me, church, today is will we go? Will we go to where God leads in this blessing? So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him, his brother. So Abram was 75 years old. Now, I just want want you to get a moment here. Um, Abram's not young. So this isn't like a young, ambitious person that he comes along and says, hey, you've been living with your family for about 20 years. It's time to get out of the basement and move out. This is approaching a guy who's probably using a cane. And he says, I want you to leave where you're comfortable. I want you to go. This man's lived here his entire life. You ever tried to get a 75-year-old to move? Right? It's almost, almost as difficult as getting a 30-year-old living with his parents out of the basement. Almost. Right? So, I want you to move. And he does. He goes and he set out from Haran. He went. And that's, that's the invitation to you and to me. Abram does nothing but follow. He does nothing but do what, where God is. He joins where God is already at work. And it's the same when it comes to sharing our faith as well. Now we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to see how Jesus kind of handled that as it relates to this beginning with prayer and listening with care. In Luke chapter 9, we find that Jesus was doing what? What he quite often does. He's praying. He, he, he's praying. He's beginning with prayer. One, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, so he's got his disciples around him, and he begins to pray. And Jesus was always praying because Jesus was always following where his heavenly Father was leading him. I mean, I, th- I think we're sorely mistaken if we believe that Jesus des- decided one day to get up from this little village and move to the next village because he had some healings to do over there. I think Jesus followed the Holy Spirit. I think Jesus followed his heavenly father's leading every single time. We see that played out in the prayer in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's always following where the heavenly, he's always engaged with the heavenly father. Where the heavenly father leads him, that's where he goes. And so once when he was praying with his disciples, he's, he's praying. He's engaged with his heavenly father and what's going on. And so this brings us to the kind of the first screen of beginning with prayer. This is where we have to begin. We have to begin with praying for those people on, on your bookmarks. And it's not just you praying for them, because once you tear that off and leave it on your seat, we're going to make copies of them in our office. We'll be praying for them as a church, and then they'll be prayed for nationally. That's how much we believe it has to begin with prayer. That's where it begins. All of us committed to praying for the openness of this person to who God is. Not the, not the boldness of you to share, we're not going to pray for that. We're going to pray for the openness of the person with whom the good news needs to be shared. They need to hear it. That's where we're going to start. 
And so when it, when it comes to your practice, when it comes to how you're going to engage this whole series, you have to begin by praying. Begin by praying. So, so evangelism starts with prayer. It doesn't start with boldness or tracks or asking the right questions or going through training somewhere. Sharing our faith begins solely with prayer. That's where it starts. And it's in prayer for the other person, their openness to God's pursuits, not just through us, but through other people as well. I mean, if you think about how you came to faith, maybe there's one person you could say, okay, they really poured into me and, and I heard them talk. But if you think about it, it was people all along the way. My guess is it was more than one. For me, that's the case. It was probably more than one person engaging you in some way. Maybe one preacher you heard that you responded to, but you had people all along the way who were modeling and sharing and praying for you that you don't even know about. So begin by praying. Then this is what happens. So Jesus, he's praying with his disciples, and then he asked them, and that's the next letter, is listen with care. He begins by praying, and then he asks them a question. Right? And here's what he asks. Who do the crowds say I am? This is like a great question. This is a great question. Who do the crowds say I am? He asks the disciples that. He wants an answer. And so he's listening now, right? He asks a question, now he's ready to listen. He's listening. They reply. So they start talking. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. That's what the crowds are saying. Jesus is in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I'm not done asking questions and I'm not done listening. He asks another question. But what about you? What about you? See, I think we think that evangelism is about going out and telling everybody. And Jesus doesn't even start there with his own disciples. He starts with prayer. And then he asks some questions. Who do, who do they think I am? And then he listens. And he says, okay, that's good. You, you got some crazy ideas there. Prophets from long ago come back to life. Yeah, people don't come back to life. What about you? He personalizes it. So what about you? Who do you, who do you say I am? See, I think we believe that evangelism is about proclamation, and so we want to tell people who Jesus is. When people want to maybe be asked who they think Jesus is. See, I think we start of a place where we think we proclaim the gospel, whereas in this day and age, in this culture, you can't proclaim anything. We have to ask questions. That's why that second part of the acronym is actually listening with care. It's interesting, isn't it? We say, go share your faith. Start with prayer. So start with talking to God and then start by listening to the people around you. That's it. What kind of strategy is that? The one that's dependent on God. And so proclaiming the gospel actually begins with the humility to listen to people and where they are and listen to their stories and ask them the question, well, who do you think Jesus is? I don't even start with who I think he is. Who do you think he is? And then listen. And I think, here's the, here's the thing. Let's just be honest. Let's be honest. Let's toy this church, right? We can be honest. It's a good place to be honest, right? Then we can go back outside the doors and we can live in denial. But for, for the next five minutes, we're going to be honest with each other, okay? The, the reason that we want... Now, it's not for all of us, all right? But I, I'm just kind of coming out of my own life here a little bit. So I'm guessing you're a little bit like me, all right? 
the reason that I think, as I've thought about this, the reason I think we, are, we want to proclaim who Jesus is and tell other people who Jesus is rather than listening to who they think he is, is because we don't want them to get it wrong. I think we're afraid to hear the wacky things they'll say. I think it threatens us. I think we're insecure. And we can't actually hear an off-the-wall idea. But look at how secure Jesus is when he says, who do the crowd say I am? And they come up with some wacky stuff, don't they? And he doesn't even deny it. He doesn't say, no, 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 come on. A prophet from long ago come back to life. No, come on. Elijah, Elijah's gone. You keep wishing. He's not here. He doesn't, he doesn't correct them. He is okay with the anomaly in their life. He's okay with them getting the stuff theologically totally incorrect. And you see, I think what's been hammered into us is that we have to get things theologically correct and we want everybody else to, or it threatens our system. And so we want to tell people who Jesus is, and when they start to say, well, I don't know, I'm kind of questioning that. No, that's the way it is. Because they have to get it correct. If they don't get it correct, God's going to be angry. He's going to be mad at them. So we got we to get this right. Their life's on the line. They already think it. Just let them share it. And, and then just say, that's interesting. That's interesting. How'd you come to that conclusion? Oh, that's interesting. Interesting. They don't have to get it right. See, we're so, we're so much like, we're like the teachers, and, and this is a test, and, and you got to pass. It's not that way at all. It's a relationship. So I, I think that's why we think we have to tell. I mean, that's just my confession. That's why I think sometimes I get uneasy around people when they get the answer wrong. And I have to check myself and say, okay, it's okay to get the answer wrong. Particularly because I'm a pastor. Right? Let, like, let me correct your test for you. No, it's okay you got it wrong. I'm just going to listen. So I, I think that's why we think it's about proclaiming rather than listening. Is we really don't want them to talk. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing when they get it wrong. It threatens us. Okay? All right, so continuing. Move to listening. You've got to move from, listen, from prayer to listening. So begin with prayer and then move to listening. Now, we've talked about this before. So when it comes time to listening, what does that mean? Right? So who do you think Jesus is? listen. And if you open your mouth again, just say, that's interesting. Tell me more. That's it. Just listen. You don't have to correct it. You don't have to make an appointment with me and bring them in to correct it. Okay? It's all right. It's okay. Move to listening. All right? And that's the next part of our acronym here, which is listen with care. Listen with care. Don't just listen. Listen as if you care. You care about what they're saying? You care about their ideas? You care about how they came to those conclusions? Listen with care. Okay? All right, moving on. Peter answered, of course, you're God's Messiah. Peter says, this is who I think you are. It's who I think you are. Now, Jesus doesn't say, and you can keep reading, I've stopped here with this verse, but verse 21 doesn't say, 
What does Messiah mean to you? Break that out theologically, please. Would you please define what it is that I do in your life? Peter says, you're my Savior. I don't know how. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know if I have eternal security or not. I don't know theologically how the world's going to end. I don't know how it is you plan to bring about redemption for this earth. All I know is you're my Savior. That's it. I don't have a theological construct for it or an argument or a Roman road that I can tell you about or four spiritual laws I can share with you. All I know is you saved me. That's it. And Jesus doesn't correct it. He doesn't explain it. He doesn't give theological underpinning for it. He just says, okay, this has been revealed to you by God. Why do we make it so complicated? It's good news after all. It's not a theological construct. It's good news. When I share with somebody a product that works, I don't break down the chemical makeup of it and explain it to them. I just say it works. It's great. You ought to buy it. I don't have to know how it works. I don't have to know how it's manufactured. I don't have to know how it's put together. All I know it works. All I know about Jesus is he saves me. That's it. Do you want to believe that too? That's it. So, proclaiming actually begins with listening. Listening to God in our prayer life and listening to the people that we're praying for. That's it. Proclaiming begins with listening. And when we think it begins with speaking, we are sorely mistaken. And this is why we don't want to do it and why our friends and family don't want us to say it. Because we both know, we both know that it's not been prayed about and there's been no listening. So let's begin there. 